0: You're listening to The Domecast,
1: where news and observer journalists take a look back and forward in North Carolina politics. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Domecast. I'm Colin Campbell from the News and Observers, filling in in the hosting chair this week. And uh, this week on the panel, we've got the usual crew. uh, Will Doran, Lynn Bonner, and Craig Jarvis are all joining us for a a busy beginning of a holiday week here in North Carolina politics. Lots to talk about. We've got the Republican uh, Medicaid proposal. We've got a number of uh, attempts at uh, taking away some of Governor Roy Cooper's powers, uh, sort of continuing that saga uh, we've got uh, the governor's first hundred days has has come through and then a number of other quirky things going on this week with House Bill 2 related stuff, gay marriage, the ACC, uh, getting a, a bit of another swipe from the legislature, uh, state cat and uh, some interesting comments by one of our legislators. So lots to talk about. We'll see how much of that uh, we can get to in the next half hour or so. But uh, we're going to start uh, talking a little bit about Medicaid. Uh, Lynn Bonner, tell us a little about um how this proposal came up and what would it actually do? Why do Republicans not want to call it Medicaid expansion? Yeah,
2: Medicaid don't call it an expansion. Um, it would expand Medicaid uh, to um, a couple hundred thousand people likely. Uh, but it's not a uh, – an expansion without caveats. It would require uh, people to pay two uh, percent of their household income to buy, essentially buy into Medicaid, two uh, percent premiums, and um, it would require hospitals to pay what would likely be uh, 10% of the cost of the expansion. It's kind of uh, an expansion uh, Red State style um, because uh, people who who would uh, sort of buy in would also have to um, do some, like, healthy living things like go to the doctor, uh, you know, and, and get dental care. Um it's being pitched as a way to uh, stabilize uh, rural hospitals Um, and it's notable because it was uh, filed initially by four Republicans Republicans uh, in the legislature have been uh, very reluctant or have not to this point said uh, that they want uh, to add to the Medicaid rolls but now this is this is uh, changing a bit Um, so we'll see how it goes. Uh, the speaker has already said that he does not like expansion, but uh, Donnie Lambeth, the um, the primary sponsor, said that he's ready with some arguments about how it will help rural hospitals and uh, health and, and the state. Democrats seem to be on board with this whole idea? There or? are Democrats who are uh, signing on to this legislation. Um Considering that um, part of the proposal is to have hospitals pay part of it, which is what uh, Governor Cooper had recommended um, back in January, he did not have anything about premiums or anything like that. But if there's going to be any kind of expansion in the state, um, it's, uh, you know, this is as close as Democrats are going to get.
1: And uh, any sort of sense for the chances of passage? I mean, if, if Tim Moore doesn't support it, would it get a hearing? And then I assume the Senate may be an even more yeah, uh, it, it thorny seemed, place for yeah, this kind of it idea. It seems
2: uh, really uh, – it's going to have, a, it's have a, a, tough, a, a tough row in the legislature. Um, lots of Republicans just are not convinced that this is the way to go. Um so, uh, but we'll see. You know, I've, I've seen things uh, happen in the legislature I never thought it would happen. Yeah, I think uh, we were all maybe, surprised
1: at this, even coming up as an right, idea.
2: Yeah, and maybe it does have a chance. But you know, this argument about rural hospitals has been made before. I mean, the hospital association made this argument uh, when the ACA was AC, ACA was passed, saying, "Well, if we don't expand Medicaid, it's going to hurt rural hospitals." They didn't get very far with that with that argument. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, if making it again is going to help but maybe Lambeth has some some uh, new numbers he can show Um, and another point the uh, Hospital Association hasn't said whether it's on board with this idea of having the hospitals pay what the state would pay Um, it's gonna would cost them a lot of course they have to balance um, the uncompensated care that they provide um, now the money they lose with what they would have to pay essentially to have more people on Medicaid. So that's gonna be an interesting calculation. We see, we'll see, we see how that turns out uh, later this spring.
1: All right, thanks Lynn for that. Uh, we'll see where that ends up uh, later on in the session. Certainly the crossover deadline coming up soon, so that could make things a little bit uh, thorny for that proposal, but uh, as far as things that are uh, going full speed ahead, the effort to take away some of Governor Roy Cooper's powers is uh, not having too many uh, stumbling blocks uh, now. Craig, tell us a little about where we stand with that and what's new this week on that front.
3: Well, I think we have probably sown the seeds for one or maybe two vetoes uh, with a couple of bills that we've talked about before on a, on the podcast. One is the uh, merger of the elections and uh, ethics boards. Uh, the governor has said he would veto that. Uh, it's still passed with uh, Uh, You know, I think probably enough votes to sustain a veto. Um, And then the other bill was the reducing the size of the uh, Court of Appeals from twelve from fifteen to twelve judges as the next three judges uh, retire. Coincidentally, or not coincidentally, those three judges are all Republicans, and uh, uh, that would deprive, in essence, the governor of uh, the ability to appoint uh, replacements. So. those are the those are heading down the pike. The legislatures, uh, you know, kind of moved them very quickly. And uh, my understanding is the governor isn't going to probably do anything this week. Um, by the time you have heard this uh, uh, podcast, so maybe by uh, Monday or Tuesday we will see that.
1: Yeah. So with the uh, judge thing, is that given any sort of non-political justification? Or are the Republicans pretty open about hey, we'd really like to increase the percentage of Republican judges we've got over there?
3: Uh, both uh, <laughs> they have said this is for uh, for streamlining it just makes sense to to uh, operate government this way th- this way the ethics and and um, uh, actually lobbying is part of two lobbying regulation and uh, elections are all kind of in the same wheelhouse so that would that would make sense they came up with some data that shows the Supreme Court uh, needs more work and the Court of Appeals uh, need some needs to uh, have less work uh that data did not come from the administrative office of the courts. it's a little unclear where you know they were kind of roping in a bunch of different data from different sources and uh and accused of doing that for political reasons but then also um at least one legislator i think it was probably senator brock who said you um You're right, um, we want to have a political advantage here. This is what the Democrats did several years ago when they increased the number of judges on the appellate court. So, uh, of course, it's political.
1: Yeah, More more to come in that saga and definitely some vetoes. I wonder if that, that may be the subject of another lawsuit and whether the current lawsuit on the election board stuff is going to get much of a change out of this whole uh, new plan for the election board?
3: Yeah, we, I'd say we just don't know. We'll see how, it, see how it plays out. We're waiting for some, I think there's some timing involved here because if there isn't a court challenge, then uh, uh, the governor or um, uh, nominees to the new, this new merged board have to be submitted to the governor and the governor has to make a uh, choice among those by sometime in May. Does that sound right? Um, that sounds right to me. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, much less controversial. The other, the other thing the governor did just today on Thursday was sign a bill uh, which requires the state to put money in the rainy day fund every year. They tend to do that uh, in recent years anyway, but this would require they do that. Um, Cooper says, well, his budget plan would have actually put more money than this plan would, but he'll go along with this. Uh, he just doesn't want them to get used to uh, diverting money into things like savings when he would like to use it to, for middle ta- class tax breaks, he says. And
1: uh, Yeah, that was sort of an interesting statement when he uh, signed that bill was that it was kind of like on the one hand, I'm signing this bill. On the other hand, yeah. we shouldn't save too much because we have school and other sorts of needs that we should be spending things on.
3: Yeah, it was kind of hard to read that. And it really is hard to distinguish between the, what the Republicans were saying, too. I mean, really, they want to lower taxes and they uh, want to have build savings. So I, I, you know, they're, everybody's playing the game of uh, PR right now. But it was interesting. The Pew Charitable Trust did a study of these statewide uh, rainy day funds. And Pretty much all the states were hit hard in the recession, of course, and depleted or almost depleted these savings accounts and they're just now over the last few years so about seven years have begun to build them back up and this report kind of took a measure of what states are where North Carolina is still trying to uh, struggle to the uh, to, to get in a better position, but the idea is this this commitment to this savings will uh, will help them you know in the long run yep.
1: All right. Thanks for that, Craig. And while we're on the uh, governor beat, uh, Will, you did some reporting on the uh, first 100 days, the sort of uh, first measurement point for a, a new governor. That happened this week. Uh, tell us a about where uh, Roy Cooper stands right now as far as his uh, promises go.
0: Yeah. Um, first 100 days, uh, very eventful, as our faithful listeners will know. Um, one of the uh, political scientists I talked to uh, for that, Andy Taylor from NC State, um, hit on some of the things that Craig was just talking about said basically the probably the main theme of cooper 's first hundred days is the the power struggle with the legislature and I think that will probably also be a theme of his second hundred days and third hundred days and on and on. Um, probably
1: the entire term, unless something drastic happens in 2018.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, obviously very defined by, you know, these these lawsuits, these power struggles, you know, all the bickering and squabbling. Um, and then obviously there was the whole HP2 issue, uh, the repeal and replace, um, which you know really defined uh you know kind of the the other half of the publicity that cooper's been getting and uh part of what we looked at too is uh well one thing that i've been doing with politifact is we've been tracking some of cooper's campaign promises and we have uh issued at least initial rulings on about five or six of them um and so we looked into those in the piece too and. uh If you're interested in those, uh, go check out the article. I'm sure if you Google Roy Cooper, first hundred days news observer, you'll find it. Um, but the, uh, the big one, um, was obviously, uh, his promise to fully repeal HP two. Um, we, uh, we've ruled that one now as a compromise. Um, it's not a promise kept, it's not a promise broken, it's compromise. And I think, you know. Most people would agree with that. Uh, you know, he got rid of obviously the bathroom ban and some of the other things kept uh, kept the bans on local ordinances. so you know, in the end, not everybody was happy, which is always the truest sign of a compromise. There are also some other ones that we just uh, rated as in the works, which is basically the Politifact lingo for. Well, you know, there's been a little bit of action, but... He proposed
1: something. It, right. It's about the extent of it, but... <laughs> right,
0: exactly, and a lot of those are exactly that. Um, Cooper proposed doing something in his budget that he promised on the campaign uh, that he would do, and um, actually uh, had a pretty interesting quote from uh, Ken Udy, his senior advisor, when I talked to him, uh, who said that uh, th- they're looking at that budget as a
1: moral document, um, it's probably a good way to look at it. Really, any governor's budget is probably, uh, a, moral is the term everyone would work, use, but <laughs> certainly it's uh, it's not really a policy document that's going to necessarily uh, find its way to law.
0: Exactly, because as I'm sure all of you lovely listeners know, the governor does not actually pass the budget. That is the job of the General Assembly. The governor merely suggests you know, what he wants them to do, and so probably a lot of these things are sort of pie-in-the-sky ideas Um, but for instance one thing that we looked at was a promise to make uh, community college tuition free
1: and he's been going all over the state with that one I think he had
0: an appearance this week
1: on uh, promoting that idea
3: yeah
0: a couple weeks ago he made four or five stops in a week basically every day he was in Asheville. He was in, I think, Richmond County. He was in Wilson.
1: Yeah. You it know, kind of reminds of, me with McCrory and the historic tax credits when he was doing like all of these visits. But it, it tells you kind of what the governor's priorities are out of all the ideas that are floating around out there.
0: Exactly. And one point that Cooper has has made a lot, um, and which is true, is that this program is basically the exact same program that Tennessee passed a year or two ago. And obviously, Tennessee has a Republican governor, a Republican legislature. Um, and it actually came in a little bit under budget for them they were pretty pleasantly surprised and they also said that they think that that meant uh, that more uh, low-income people took advantage of it than they had expected Um, and that that was one of the criticisms that i've heard from some people on the on the right here that it would mostly be a handout to uh you know middle class or wealthier families uh, since a lot of low-income people could you know afford the or you know could qualify for uh, financial aid anyways um, but apparently just, you know, I think the Tennessee example has shown that, you know, a lot of people maybe don't even realize that they would qualify for financial aid. So when they hear that something's going to be free, they'll go ahead and apply. But, um, but yeah, that was just one of, uh, of several different promises. And the rest were all kind of education or you know, economy and tax related that we looked at. So uh, another plug for people who are interested, go check that out or just go to PolitiFact. Uh, to the North Carolina site and click on the little button that says promises
1: and you can see all of those. And while we're on the topic of PolitiFacts, you've got a new one coming out on the STOP Act, the uh, attempt by the legislature and others to try to get a handle on the opioid epidemic. Tell us about what you're finding out there.
0: Yeah, well, the uh, the STOP Act passed the the House of Representatives uh, unanimously on Monday. And basically this law would uh, limit the number of painkillers that doctors could prescribe to certain patients on their initial visit. So, you know, if you if you had to come in for a follow up visit because you were still in a lot of pain or if you were, for instance, a cancer patient, uh, you know, they could give you more pills. But if you're just, you know, someone walking in off the street saying, hey, you know, I, I broke my arm, I sprained my ankle, I need, you know, Vicodin or Oxycontin or whatever. Uh,
1: they would be limited to, I think it's five days worth of... Uh, yeah, it's a fairly small energy. amount for the first round, but I guess it's really to get it to people who sort of doctor shop. They go to the little, you know, urgent care clinics and say, oh, look, I broke my arm. And the next day, hey, look, I broke my arm. And so they get a the different doctor and see how many prescriptions they can get.
0: Exactly. And, and part of the problem, too, on that very same issue is that there is currently a, uh, an online system uh, to, for doctors to list the prescriptions that they've been handing out, but it's um, optional. And another thing that uh, this bill would do would make it mandatory. Um, and I actually uh, talked to the UNC professor, uh, whose name is uh, Kay Sanford, who uh, got that program started in the first place back in 2007, and she's very excited about the possibility that it might become optional. Um, <coughs> but, yeah, one, one of the things, uh, anyways, that we looked at for the PolitiFact article was that uh, Greg Murphy, the uh, Greenville Republican that's been – Pushing this, uh, yeah. The
1: legislature's one doctor, and he's sort of the lead guy on this one.
0: Yeah, yeah. He's a, uh, a urology surgeon, um, which I imagine is a profession that involves giving out a lot of pain pills. One would assume that would be a painful process. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, he was saying, and he said it constantly for the past month that this is needed because uh, four North Carolinians die uh, every day on average from drug overdoses. And I wondered if that was true. So he was hot. Yeah, it, I mean, that's that's a lot, you know, yeah. four every single day. Um, and if you just look at all drug overdoses in total, he's right. Um, if you take out things like cocaine and heroin and only look at the prescription pills that this bill is aimed at, it's more like two a day, which is still, I mean, a very it's a troubling. Big chunk of yeah.
1: the drug use, because I would have assumed that the Things you buy on the street might be a more popular way to overdose than pain exactly, pills. Exactly, but... or just
0: more widely available, They're yeah. cheaper. But no, actually, uh, yeah, pills kill more people than heroin and cocaine combined wow. in North Carolina. Um, and all drugs kill more people than guns and car crashes. It's, I mean, it really is an epidemic. Um, but talked to some other people. They said that actually basically anyone who is using heroin probably initially got hooked when they were taking pills either legitimately or for recreational abuse um, and so they said it's okay to count the uh, the heroin stats and that kind of pushes it up to like three deaths a day so um, we gave representative Murphy a uh, mostly true on that um, since he he's definitely right that this is you know something that's causing multiple deaths a day you can quibble about the numbers a little bit but for the most part he is uh, he's correct this is a uh, a very deadly issue that we've got it on our hands
1: yeah and that's passed the house now it's headed to the senate i guess we uh will find out before too long if there's a movement for it in the senate there is a companion bill i think already filed uh, it's just a question of when uh, the Senate wants to take action on it. But it does seem like it's one of those things that really has a lot of backing from both parties. I think Attorney General Josh Stein, if I remember correctly, is a big advocate for this bill. Yeah, that, he's kind of made that the hallmark of
0: of his first hundred days in office. I don't think anyone has done a story on Josh Stein's first hundred days, but um, yeah, a little, a little lower profile. <laughs> everything I've seen from him has all been about you know stopping the opioid epidemic and you know cutting down on the availability of pills and things like that. So clearly something that has... Has uh, captured the attention about fifteen or
1: twenty years after it started. Yeah, uh, well, and it's a, certainly a, it's a, an interesting issue. And, and for anyone who's uh, a podcast fan, is really interested in going into more of that, the uh, NPR podcast embedded a couple about a year or so ago did a really good series on um, the, the opioid epidemic, uh, going down and actually into the rooms where people are, like, shooting up with heroin who have got addicted to pills through, you know, essentially wow. getting too many pills. So it's a it's interesting listen if you want to really get a, a first hand account of uh, sort of what this problem is like, and clearly it's a, it's a problem here in, in North Carolina as well. Um, on a lighter note this week, uh, we had uh, some interesting uh, bills make their way through. Uh, the one I was excited about that didn't really get a whole lot of attention because it was Tuesday, which was a, a jam-packed day at the legislature because they were uh, trying to get as many bills as possible through before the Easter holiday. Okay was the state cat bill has made another uh, return. That's the uh, effort by some uh, elementary school kids out in Rocky Mount to make the bobcat the official state cat. Uh, there was a little bit of discussion about that. There's some concerns that the cat amount, the Western Carolina University mascot, maybe should be the state cat, but really they're actually related, <laughs> so we all got a little bit of a, a biology lesson in the, the Wildlife Resources Committee. Uh, that passed with only a, a few dissenting votes, and uh, we'll see if the, the Senate takes up the state cat bill this year. Uh, and I also realize we have Uh, A state uh, freshwater trout, I believe. There's a state marsupial that's the opossum. Um, A a lot more state uh, official animals than I would have expected or would have really thought we needed. I saw in the national news that Texas is talking about making a state gun, which would be the cannon. So I don't know what North Carolina's state gun would be. Yeah, I have a feeling some of the legislators uh, probably have some ideas. I don't know if cannon's their gun of choice, but... um, I wouldn't be surprised if we went for a state gun at some point.
2: (laughs) Richard Stevens, are you listening? Stevens, when he was a senator, always opposed these state symbol bills. Uh, So, Richard.
1: Yeah, I guess there's no real voice against uh, making these bills happen now. No one really spoke out against it when it was the cat. Um, and we were going to hear more from these state symbol bills this year because I discovered that there's two competing bills for a state spider. Uh, one is the Senate proposal for the Linville Cavern, cavern Spider. One was a uh, House proposal for a different sort of spider, so I don't know if that'll uh, the two chambers will battle out on which spider is better, <laughs> but uh, it could give us some much-needed levity towards the end of the session.
2: <laughs> Maybe we'll need two, like we have two liver mush festivals.
1: Yeah, like the Eastern in the western yes. uh, spider. Um, I don't know if they want to get into their territory, if that would create a spider civil war or anything.
2: And
3: just to correct the re- the record, I don't think the possum was ever the state. In, uh, a possum. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. The buckboard animal was the subject of multiple lawsuits going on for years for the annual yeah. possum drop at uh, midnight in Brasstown.
1: Yeah, say <laughs> so that, that animal has not gotten very good treatment. No. I just think it was odd because this was in the uh, – Literature that the uh, fiscal or the research staff at the legislature put together for the cat bill was that it's the state marsupial and it's the Virginia opossum, which, if you have a different state's name (laughs) in the name of your animal, should you be the (laughs) North Carolina one? I don't know.
3: Yeah, I would yeah. think that's it a was the subject of an apodaca bill titled the <laughs> the Possum Right to Work Act. <laughs> yeah, those, those were some
1: good bills. I, I'm kind of sad. We I think with the retirement of uh, Roger West from the farthest most western uh, House district, uh, we're we're seeing a few less possum related uh, bills this session. But you never know. There's still time for for more possum related action. Um, Well, the other thing we we don't want to miss talking about this week is the uh, social uh, legislation wars that are are continuing again. Uh, We had an interesting uh, filing on Tuesday night, right before the deadline, uh, by some of the conservative legislators to reinstate the gay marriage ban, which has been done away with for several years because of the Supreme Court. They want to defy the Supreme Court um, and reinstate it. Uh, they say that it's a states' rights issue. The Supreme Court shouldn't have the say in it, um, and uh, the bill also had a lengthy quote from the Bible uh, describing what marriage should be, uh, that did not last very long. Uh, House Speaker Tim Moore, in sort of an unusual move, he doesn't normally come out to say that, hey, this bill is dead, even though it was only p- filed you know, 12 hours ago, uh, but put out a statement basically saying, this bill is dead, it's uh, not a constitutional thing that we can do, um, and that they're not going to do it, but it's one of those things that uh, generated a lot of national media attention, I think, and particularly in the wake of HB2, which is still a subject for debate because there's another bill on that this week that uh, is aimed at going after the ACC for its boycott, the idea being that uh, if the ACC again boycotted North Carolina, uh, then the universities that are public universities would immediately withdraw from the ACC and go join a different sports conference, which is, uh, while I'm I'm not a sports expert by any stretch of the imagination, certainly would be a very strange situation if uh, UNC... uh, was forced out by the legislature to leave the ACC and go join some other sports conference that doesn't include uh, Duke and uh, Wake Forest and some of the other uh, schools that they're used to playing and have been playing for for many, many years now. So that's uh, another bill that uh, probably isn't going that far, but has uh, made headlines and uh, landed me in an unusual role of appearing on out-of-state sports talk radio shows as a commentator, as a person who knows nothing about sports, does not cover sports, but sports and politics just keep intersecting and uh we we can't seem to uh, get away from all that um well it really shows just how this you know issue just really reverberates
0: around the country i mean you you know you were saying you know out of, out of state I, I think you were telling me earlier
1: off the air you were on in florida yeah somewhere jacksonville and- florida earlier this week and then uh shortly before we we're recording this podcast on thursday i was on in florence south carolina um with i guess whoever the afternoon sports talk host is but uh, they were very interested in knowing because uh, i think particularly anywhere on the East Coast, the ACC is a big issue, so uh, anything that could really change the face of the ACC, and this certainly uh, would do that if it were to pass, um, and there were to be a boycott, um, is is very much of interest to people, and certainly, uh, I know, particularly South Carolina, maybe Florida as well, um, they they probably liked HB2, because it meant that some sporting events that would have been in North Carolina were closer to home. Obviously, NCAA basketball was in Greenville, South Carolina this year, instead of Greensboro, Uh, so that's uh, something that other states, I think, have have taken a big big interest in and uh, certainly the various uh, interesting things in in North Carolina politics, but particularly with the the far right wing of the uh, House Republican caucus that that seems to make a new headline every six hours this week um, has uh, catapulted into the interest of of many national and even international media. Uh, So plenty going on in, in that arena and Probably don't need to get too much into it since it's been saturating the news. Um, We're going to take a quick break, and uh, then we're going to be back with Headliner of the Week. Did you know that North Carolina judges used to ride on horseback across the state to deliver justice? Today, there are more than 1,000 judicial representatives in our state and through the NCAOC Speakers Bureau, you can request to have a representative speak at your event. Representatives are ready to inform your community about the importance of the North Carolina judicial system, and their visits are completely free. We can't promise they'll show up on a horse, though. Visit celebrate.nccourts.org to request a speaker for your event. And welcome back to Domecast. It is time for Headliner of the Week, uh, the segment where we ask our panelists to uh, name what they think is the uh, biggest headliner uh, of this past week in North Carolina politics. And then we'll uh, choose uh, out of those uh, which one uh, wins the coveted title and the prize that doesn't come with it because it's not really a prize uh, this week on Headliner. So we're going to start with uh, Will Doran. Will, who's your Headliner of the Week?
0: Well, I am playing to the jury with a story that you wrote, Colin, um, and going with... The dangerous thing of having a reporter in the hosting (laughs) seat instead of our our usual editor. (laughs) Exactly. Um, I'm going with Representative Larry Pittman, a Republican from Concord, um, who, uh, in the midst of the the gay marriage uh, debates that you were talking about earlier, said that... um, uh, he did not want to get over the fact that uh, the Supreme Court has already ruled gay marriage constitutional because he doesn't think that if uh, Hitler had won World War II, he should have gotten over that. And uh, also, by the way, Abraham Lincoln was just as bad as Hitler. And, and the Civil War was unconstitutional. And the Civil War was unnecessary. Just to put just a put and little cherry on the top of that one <laughs> Facebook comment. Which really just seemed to kind of spiral out of control. It came the day after uh, Sean Spicer had been in the news for his own
1: uh, misguided Hitler comments. Yeah, so I think and- within half an hour of Pittman posting this, and this wasn't even like a standalone post, it was he was on his own Facebook page arguing with some random people who didn't like his gay marriage bill, uh, and then comes out with this kind of... Uh, big statement that immediately uh, got our attention within a very few minutes, and within an hour or two after that, it was national news. Right. So we had a lot of people uh, learning
0: a little bit more about the War of Northern Aggression this week, um, and but also a lot of people pushing back. Um, you know, on both sides, obviously, this is something very controversial and you know easy to criticize. You know, um, uh, I tweeted out a link to your story, and Representative Chuck McGrady, one of Pittman's fellow Republicans. Uh, tweeted something to the effect of, I guess he's not
1: coming to our Lincoln Day dinner this year. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's a very common event. I think we, most county parties in the state have a Lincoln, it's often a Lincoln-Reagan Day <laughs> event, which is, I yeah. guess, the two sort of uh, most popular figures in the, the Republican Party presidentially. Yeah. Republicans
0: have historically called themselves the Party of Lincoln, and I guess in re- recent decades that has also you know shifted to include the Party of Reagan, maybe. Um, but yeah, it's just... Uh, just completely taken off and you know that, like you were saying i mean you know people from the new york times were tweeting about this i had celebrities retweeting it and you know it's you know yet, yet again uh north carolina making the national news
1: yeah it's just, it seems like anytime we have these stories that uh make us look uh particularly um, perhaps in the past, uh, we we tend to rocket up the charts of the uh, the national news media, and I think this case even got international. I saw a couple of Israeli out outlets were posting stories about Pittman.
2: <laughs> yeah, Larry Pitt Pittman, known around the world.
1: Yeah, a worldwide uh, celebrity and. Uh, silent now. He has not said anything, although there have been some parody accounts pop up on Twitter that appear to not actually be him, uh, but we still haven't heard any sort of uh, clarification, apology, anything of that nature from Pittman. Also haven't heard from the Speaker of the House or the North Carolina Republican Party. In fact, I tried to do the reaction story this uh, today and uh, sort of see what other Republicans thought of this comment, and uh, Representative Jason Sane was the only person I could get to say anything, and he was you know fairly strong in his criticism of it being an offensive comment that required an apology, but uh, we're still waiting to hear from anybody else. So uh, Jason
3: Sane from Lincolntown, I might point yeah, out. Yeah, he, oh, that's true. I didn't even think of that when I called him, that he is a
1: Lincolnton Republican yeah. from Lincoln County. So, I mean, the dude has to be a fan yeah. of Lincoln, or he's going to get run out of town. <laughs> All right, so Larry Pittman in the hat for headline of the week. We've probably given him plenty of attention uh, already as it stands. So we'll turn next to Craig Jarvis. Craig, uh, who's your headliner of the week?
3: I feel like I should probably go with Abraham Lincoln or something, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to stoop to playing to the jury. Um, I'm going to go with... podcast. <laughs> yeah, what the <laughs> heck. I'm going to go with nurse, nurse anesthesis if I got that right. Uh, they're making a push uh, again this year to... Uh, uh, perform uh, what they do uh, with, not from you know without the direct supervision of a physician. They want to do it with a collaboration of a physician. There's a bunch of different things that they say they're perfectly capable of doing, and the uh, anesthesiologists don't see it that way, so the, a big fight is kind of brewing. It echoes a uh, fight from a couple weeks ago that surfaced where optometrists wanted to take on certain duties of ophthalmologists, and uh, there's a lot of is it safe is it just about access and affordability you know uh, so a lot of those health issues are being uh, debated
1: all right a little other medical turf war with the nurse anesthetist in my that sounds better your, uh, than what I did, I yeah. think I'm pronouncing that right. I'll probably get a lot of calls from people in this community who may <laughs> tell me I'm saying it wrong. But for now, I'm going to say Nurse's Anesthetist in the hat for uh, this week's headliner of the week. And uh, the headline I want to see happen if, if this bill happens to fail is that it was put to sleep. Like, oh. we can't not do that headline <laughs> if this Thank bill you. were to I'm be get knocked down at some point. Right now. Yeah. All right. Uh, last but not least, uh, Lynn, who's your headliner of the week?
2: One of our dumbcast fans <clears throat> suggested Donnie Lambeth. So here we go. Uh, fan service Donnie Lambeth uh, he uh, as uh, we we mentioned before uh, stepped out and uh, from the uh, from the rest of the republicans and uh, became their primary sponsor of a bill that would add more people to medicaid with some uh, requirements some work requ- requirements and uh, premium requirements and uh, you know um, some healthy living requirements but um, Heretofore, it's been mostly Democrats talking about uh, mid expansion, so uh, Donny Lambeth for uh, making the Republican case.
1: All right. Donnie Lambeth in the hat for Headline of the Week, along with Nurse Anesthetist, if I'm pronouncing that right, and, of course, uh, the unforgettable Representative Larry Pittman for his uh, comments about Abe Lincoln. Now, as much as I'm uh, tempted to, to go for my own story here on, uh, on Pittman, um, I feel like uh, filing a, a bill in a very uh, complicated uh, process uh, with some pretty uh, sweeping results if it passes is probably a, a bigger deal than uh, one person commenting on, on Facebook as incendiary as It it may have been so. I'm going to go with uh, Donnie Lambeth, uh, figuring that if this bill happens to pass, um, I don't know what we're going to call this new uh, healthcare plan—Donnie Care, kind of like uh, Obamacare. So we'll see. Maybe. Yeah. All right. Uh, Donnie Lambeth is our headliner of the week, and that uh, brings us to to the end uh, of this week's edition of Domecast. I'm Colin Campbell. Thanks so much for listening in this week, and we will talk to you next week.